Welcome to the Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. The CAA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as the latest research and how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Now, for those of you that have been following our podcast, you might remember back to podcast three and four last year when we interviewed Dr. Paul Noon. These podcasts were all about manual therapy and its influence on cervicogenic headache, something that uh, many chiropractors would be seeing day in and day out. In one of the uh, podcasts, it uh, was uh, about the literature review uh, that compared uh, looking at uh, manual therapies for headaches. And in the, uh, the other podcast, was com- actually compared the effectiveness of manipulation to mobilization and exercise. If you've missed those podcasts, then it's definitely worth going back and having another listen. Well, today's podcast is on a similar topic, but we're looking more at the profile of the patients that use manual therapy in the management of headaches. Our guest today is Dr. Craig Moore, who has just published a study in BMC Neurology titled, A Critical Review of Manual Therapy, Use for Headache Disorders, Prevalence, Profiles, Motivations, Communication, and Self-Reported Effectiveness. Now, although Craig now resides in Sydney, I I did notice that he's completed his chiropractic undergraduate training at my old stomping ground at RMIT in Melbourne. He has a Master's of Clinical Trials Research from Sydney University School of Medicine, and he's about halfway through his PhD at the University of Technology in Sydney. Craig's been a great servant of the profession and was instrumental in helping Professor John Adams bring about the ACORN project, uh, which is one of the achievements which led to Craig winning the Chiropractor of the Year in 2015. That's quite a resume. Craig, how are you going? Welcome to the CA podcast. Hello, Anthony. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. We had, we chatted just a little bit before we uh, pressed record there, and you said you're... Um, uh, when you were talking about how close you were to your PhD that you said, look, let's just say halfway because the closer I get, the further it seems. Is, is it going along well so far? It's going along well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, there are periods where it moves faster and there are periods where it gets slowed down. So I'm always nervous in giving an answer on exactly when I'll be finished. I think that's probably true for a lot of people doing a PhD. I'm sure it is, and combining it with everything else that you do in life, practice, and others. So let's talk about the the research that's just been uh, recently published. Um, What is it all about, and and what are the key findings? Uh, Okay, so if I can firstly answer your question, just by giving a little bit of background to why we would do a study like this. Um, There are enormous gaps in the healthcare literature about headache management. And uh, a recent World Health Organization uh, global report in particular highlighted that there is very limited public health and health services information on the management of headaches around the world. So this means information about who and how headaches are managed and, uh, and also information on who, how and where and why people seek headache management. So. Uh, just to give context, you know, beyond effectiveness research, we also need to conduct research that is, is equally valuable to a range of, of stakeholders such as government and third-party payers and other healthcare providers. And even our patients can benefit from knowing a range of information about costly health conditions uh, such as headaches. So that just gives a bit of background to why we would do a study on the prevalence of headache patients who seek 
manual therapy providers. So we looked at physiotherapy, osteopathy, chiropractors, and massage therapy use. And uh, we looked at their profile, their motivations, and what they report about the outcomes. And uh, so just to give a bit of context there, but what we found was the prevalence use of manual therapy uh, management of headaches is is highly prevalent around the world, although it, it varied a bit from regions. A physiotherapy was a little bit more popular in parts of Europe, while chiropractic was uh, a bit more popular in places like Australia and the USA. Uh, so there's more information. We also found there was a lot more information on the prevalence of manual therapy used for migraines, but there was a real lack of information on the prevalence of manual therapy used for headaches like tension headache and cervicogenic headache. But with migraine, there was enough information to say that chiropractors in Australia are the second leading healthcare provider for those with migraine in Australia after the family GP. So we were more popular than neurologists and psychologists and any other provider except the family GP. So that was interesting. But in terms of the profile, we also found that manual therapy patients are more likely to have more chronic forms of headache with greater levels of disability. So we get <clears throat> the really tough cases of headache right? Uh, compared to other providers. And they're more likely to be a little bit older. We, we see more females and they're more likely to be sicker patients. So they have uh, a larger number of comorbidities. So that was interesting. And uh, we also found that about 50% of the people using manual therapy for headache were also using medical care for headache as well. So they, they were taking a fairly pluralistic approach about the management of this condition. They weren't relying just on one provider. That was and one. Finally, Sorry, just to interrupt before you go to the next point. Yeah. I, I, it was very interesting when I was reading your research to, uh, to see that it wasn't just the, the regular headaches, but it was the really you know chronic migraines where uh, people were seeing chiropractors for and more so than even uh, neurologists. You mentioned also about the comorbidities, so that the person who has a migraine often will have many other different health issues and that they're also more likely to see uh, chiropractors or, or manual therapists. Why? I mean, I've got my ideas of why that would be the case. What was uh, your research findings there? Well, uh, I haven't researched why that's the case in great detail yet, but um, one of the things would come to mind would be perhaps that people try chiropractic last of all. So yes. if people have had uh, results else, elsewhere, they may have had a less complex form of headache that was easier to fix. So it might be that down the decision trail of a lot of people, we end up seeing a, a higher percentage of really tough headache cases because a lot of these people... Uh, have tried uh, everything else and that and that raises an interesting question about future clinical research because if we're only going to test uh, chiropractic uh, treatment options on the people who are consulting chiropractors then we've probably got the toughest cases of all that we're trying to test the efficacy yes. of, of example manual therapies uh, so if we were to perhaps take patients from outside of chiropractic patient offices who have a lot of these headaches, it might be that many of them are a less complex case and are in fact easier to fix than the ones we actually deal with. Well, obviously taking that patient group would sort of, you would assume that uh, the results might look a little bit better, obviously, than the, than the more <laughs> chronic severe headaches. Indeed.
So how did you find with the, uh, you know, in fact, well, I might get you to back. I cut you off before. Just what, you, we were going to make another point just about your research earlier. Uh, just a final point was an interesting point about the motivations. We found that uh, manual therapy patients were first and foremost motivated by a need to seek further pain relief beyond what was available to them. Uh, and secondly, they were motivated by uh, the second most common reason was a motivation of feeling dissatisfied with the medical care that they had tried, or they had concerns about the, the safety and side effects of many of the medical drug treatments available for headaches. One thing I noticed also that was uh, pricked my attention when I was reading your, um, your study is that patients were sometimes reluctant to explain to their uh, GP, for example, that they were seeing a chiropractor or, or a manual therapist. Yeah, that was another interesting finding. About two-thirds of the patients in studies that explored this, about two-thirds of the patients were confessing uh, that they had not shared that they were using this type of treatment for headache with their, with their GP. And that can raise some concerns about communication uh, between providers and, uh, and and patients getting the best type of care by providers understanding fully what patients were doing. I think there are obviously advantages in anyone who's managing these patients to communicate with other practitioners that might also be uh, you know, co-managing. Do you take uh, the front foot with these patients in your practice and actually suggest, look, would you mind um, if I shared a letter with your GP, uh, just to let them know uh, what's happening and what my thoughts are. Do you do you sort of take that approach, or do you just let things? Think, let things it's not there? something that I do in the, the first instance, uh, but certainly if I'm struggling with a headache case, I'll I'll certainly then look at the option of um, of writing a letter to the GP explaining that the patient is presented with this particular type of headache, uh, that this was the results of my history and examination and this trial of care. Uh, was conducted, and I'll sometimes include some references to help GPs or other healthcare providers better understand uh, the quality of the evidence behind what I've been doing along the way, so to educate them. But I'll, I'll certainly provide that information back to a GP or even potentially uh, through a GP uh, to, to get the patient to go to a new neurologist. Yes, indeed. So in some of the tougher cases, you know, if I'm not helping them, um, in a patient-centred approach to care, there's no point holding on to a patient that you're not helping uh, for the condition that they've come to you with. And so sometimes this information will be important for the GP to share back to a, a specialist so that the patient can look at some other options. Now, obviously, your, your PhD is uh, on the subject of headaches. How are the findings from this literature review um, directing you and your thesis going forwards? Uh, so in short, a review of this type tells me where the gaps are in health services and public health research. Uh, and there are many, many gaps. And a lot of the information that we looked at in this review was, was fairly poor quality information. So the gaps that I've chosen to explore in this arena of, of research is to provide a, a more detailed analysis on how headaches are managed specifically just by the chiropractic profession alone. And uh, looking at the key clinical features of the headache patients that specifically seek chiropractors. So for those chiropractors who recently filled in my survey on headache management, we've already asked them directly questions uh, since this review uh, about 
uh, whether they diagnose headaches and how they do that, uh, how they treat headaches, and indeed, does that vary the different headaches and how they do they measure their treatment outcomes uh, in a specific way and how and do they collaborate with other healthcare providers and under what circumstances. So it's led me to exploring in more detail how headaches are managed by our profession. And after that, I'll be looking at the patients and I'll be looking at what types of headaches uh, are presenting to chiropractors uh, and what level of headache chronicity and disability is occurring specifically within our own patient uh, population and, and what the comor comorbidities are. In other words, uh, what is the general health of our headache patients and what diseases and conditions do they have when they present with headaches? It's interesting to mention that to date, none of this information has been collected or published, uh, and yet headache is the third most common reason for why patients seek a chiropractor in Australia. Now, if you flick to the last two pages of your study, there's some 90-odd uh, references that you've quoted. We had, uh, as I mentioned uh, in the intro, we had Dunning's study last year that uh, compared manipulation very favorably to mobilization and exercise for cervicogenic headache. Uh, we had Garcia's uh, literature view of um, manipulation and mobilization for chronic headache, which also was a very favorable study. Surely we must be at the point now where chiropractors and other manual therapists should be confident about caring with patients for these type of problems. Do we need more research or is there enough to go out there and confidently state our case? Well, the, it depends a bit on the headache. Uh, the evidence is still evolving slowly for headache and manual, ther manual therapy, partly because high quality uh, randomised control trials are very expensive and they require a highly skilled team of researchers to run them. So, you know, this type of research is evolving fairly slowly, but uh, this is why it's so important, in fact, for, for the chiropractic profession in Australia to continue to foster and fund uh, more research and more researchers. But having said that, if we take one headache at a time, for cervicogenic headache, uh, the effectiveness research is building in favour of manual therapies, as you've mentioned, uh, such as manipulation and mobilization, uh, and, and sometimes when combined with exercises. For tension headache, uh, there is some evidence for soft tissue therapy-based methods like trigger point therapy. There's some evidence for exercises and for both manipulation and mobilization. But for tension headache, the number of studies is more limited, so it's making it difficult to make strong conclusions yet. And finally, for migraine, which I mentioned, the chiropractors are, are the second most popular healthcare provider for migraine, and yet the evidence for migraine is the weakest for, uh, for the types of therapies that are common to chiropractors, and uh, there's the most limited number of studies for migraine, uh, the methodology is the weakest, and indeed the results are still very conflicting for migraine. So overall, if we look at headache guidelines as a sort of an overall indicator of where we're at, uh, with the evidence to answer your question. They give a, about a level B recommendation for physical therapies for cervicogenic headache, but they give only level C recommendations for these types of treatments uh, for tension, headache and migraine. So we still have much to do, uh, but I would look forward to seeing if more research over time can move manual therapies higher up the guidelines ladder, uh, much like we've recently seen for manual therapies in low back pain guidelines. There's always more research to be done, isn't there, uh, Craig? There yeah. is.
Now, uh, when you're, and you've mentioned uh, the, I guess, the three most common of the primary headaches, migraine, tension headache, and cervicogenic headache, I guess we could almost throw in there. Uh, obviously, making a diagnosis must is the critical thing for any provider before beginning uh, care. Um, do you use the international classification of headache disorders and list that uh, as their type of headache, or does it is it not so important to, to, to be thinking, is this a tension headache or is this a cervicogenic headache? No, I do, and uh, and I think it is very important, uh, increasingly so each year, that healthcare providers are classifying the type of headache that has presented. And there's a number of good reasons why we should do that. Um, firstly, because uh, it will help us as practitioners to better explore uh, what therapeutic approaches we have available to us uh, that are, are most likely to have the best effect on that particular type of headache. Uh, so I mentioned earlier, for example, you know, there's some evidence for trigger point therapy for tension headache. You know, maybe not all chiropractors would be aware of that. And, and secondly, we also need to be diagnosing headaches to see whether it's more appropriate that we recommend to that patient that they also seek help uh, from other healthcare providers where the care may, we may know the care is, is, is better or safer or cheaper. So we need to diagnose headaches for that reason. But also, if we, if we as a profession want a seat at the, at the healthcare table within the world of headache management, uh, and I should mention that migraine alone is costing in Australia uh, about $3.5 billion each year in healthcare costs, uh, both directly and indirectly. So uh, if we want a seat at that table, and if we want to be considered an, an important healthcare provider as a profession for, for headaches such as migraine, then we need to be able to demonstrate individually as practitioners that we understand headaches, we understand the diagnosis of headaches, uh, that we're aware of the current best headaches uh, for, for each headaches, the best evidence, I should say, for each headaches, and that we know when to participate with other healthcare providers. And this is all very important if we want inclusion to be included within mainstream healthcare. Uh, and that all starts really with, with being able to diagnose what headache has presented to us. And I guess making that diagnosis and classifying in that way, we're, we're speaking the common language, uh, which, is, which is obviously important with the interprofessional communication. It is, it is. We can't really expect to be sharing information with government and with uh, third party payers and with other healthcare providers and even with patients if we haven't really fully explained what type of headache is going on here. So now headaches, regardless of the type of headache, can have multi-triggers uh, and sometimes a, a multi-modal approach is important. So apart from the, the manual therapy, what are the, some of the other things that chiropractors should be thinking about to help people with tension, migraine and cervicogenic headaches? Yeah, well, that's a, a great question. I think it's an important one that we should be exploring. Um, it can be very limiting, for example, for, for us to pigeonhole our profession as, as a sort of a one type of treatment profession. And if we look, for example, at a, a recent systematic review uh, that looked at the efficacy of a range of interventions available to physiotherapists for patients who present with headache and migraine, that study uh, was willing to include uh, manual therapy interventions, trigger point therapy, um, physical uh, and psychological interventions when combined. So it looked at 
relaxation techniques and stress management techniques and so on. And what it found was that physiotherapists are highly equipped to manage a range of headaches across a range of scenarios uh, and that they have access to a range of interventions. And, and I think that that's a very telling piece of information. That, that paper was published in, in a very high-ranking headache journal and, and it highlights uh, that the best patient outcomes are likely to come uh, from involving more than one type of intervention. And it's likely to in include a range of approaches that the chiropractic encounter can, can consider. So my, my follow-up research is looking at this very closely and uh, we've already performed an analysis within the ACORN uh, National Survey that has looked at the practice characteristics of those chiropractors who, who said that they treat uh, migraine often. And uh, from there, we've gone on to design that uh, primary study that primary headache survey that's gone out to chiropractors where we've we've done a more detailed uh, questionnaire, a survey to explore this further. And uh, and indeed what we found was that um, the chiropractors uh, were taking a very uh, intelligent, scientific approach to headaches. Uh, and in terms of the care they're providing, there was good information there to, to show that they were providing a very multimodal approach and that they were often uh, referring headache patients when when necessary with other healthcare providers. So so that was very encouraging. Uh, most chiropractors listening to this uh, podcast, I suspect, are very aware of the Australian Chiropractic Research Network or ACORN project, uh, and of course, uh, Professor John Adams, we mentioned him earlier, uh, who's also your PhD uh, PhD supervisor, I believe. Yes. Yes, and so you're intimately aware of what's happening with, with, with Acorn. For, for those of us on the ground, where's the Acorn project at and, and, and where do we go to from here? So, yes, yeah, so research, of course, cannot be conducted without researchers having access to, to data, essentially. So Acorn provides a, a tremendous opportunity for, for chiropractic researchers like me to have access either to the, to the database, so... Uh, many of the, the practitioners listening will probably remember filling in that two-page questionnaire. So that provides a terrific database that research can be conducted from. And also the ACORN network provides a, an army of chiropractors who are ready and willing and able uh, to participate uh, in research. So to date, uh, there's been, I think, four published studies that have now um, reached uh, journals. Uh, that is the result of the uh, the ACORN project, and uh, there's probably half a dozen other studies that are um, in different stages of development, or, or or are at that stage where they're about to be submitted uh, to to journals. So, uh, I ACORN is a is a fantastic resource for the profession. It's a very exciting and original initiative uh, that the CAA has taken up there. And uh, it provides a great facility, if you like, for, um, for research that can be very cost effective. Uh, it makes recruitment uh, of practitioners very easy and it makes recruitment of practitioners, uh, patients, um, gives greater access to, to the patients. And uh, I would not be able to do my own research without ACORN. I'm pleased to say others are using it as well. And, um, and uh, it, I hope it's a resource we have for many years to come. And I guess this is the thing that the initial investment I understand from the CAA 
was a three-year um, investment, but this is ongoing. Once you've set the, the project up, once you've got all systems in place, this is something that can be used by people who are interested in doing research on an ongoing basis. That's right. Uh, the big the big spend is done now. That's that's history, and um, it requires um, far less uh, financial support to keep running Acorn. So uh, there's I can't see any reason why we we wouldn't have Acorn with us for many years to come, and for and for many many more studies to be conducted using uh, a practice based research network uh, such as Acorn. Another financial commitment that the CAA have uh, put forward is uh, in sponsoring. PhD students. You've been a recipient of that. Um, I'm sure that's something you very appreciate. Just tell the listeners what how that's made life easier for you. Well, it's been a huge support, um, you know, particularly at the stage of life that I'm at when I decided to to become a researcher. I mean, if you imagine all of the, the financial responsibilities you have in your life right now, uh, imagine then imagine your income has been cut back uh, by you know, by 50% because you've cut back your practice life by 50%. Uh, I just don't think I could have done it at this stage in my life without it, um, uh, without without the support that I've received from from the scholarship. And um, and I know that that's very true for the other three recipients as well. So um, so we should all take our hat off really again to the CAA for being visionary in this regard. And um, uh, I will never move forward without. Uh, the research funding that I've had from from the CA in terms of the research scholarships. So, so Craig, um, what advice would you give to you know uh, a forty something sort of chiropractor who's been in practice for a while and considering to you know get more involved in, in research? Maybe they're interested in doing a PhD, or maybe they're just interested in you know doing a few case studies and just being more active in that space. Uh, what would your uh, words of wisdom to them be? Well, I think yeah, I think the journey to becoming a, a researcher is is probably a bit different for different people. But um, perhaps for me, if if you found that you have a genuine yearning for asking deeper questions about what type of care we can provide to get better results, then then that might be telling. And also, or or a yearning that um, that you want to be part of the answer about meeting the challenges of our profession, the challenges that our profession is facing that only more research can can help to solve uh, and then the next step might be to start thinking about whether there's a, a burning research question you you're starting to feel quite strongly about so that can often be a great motivator for people getting involved in research is that there's a particular area that, that they have a quite a, a deep interest in and something that they want to explore so I would advise uh, that type of person to, to maybe think about picking up the phone and uh, talking to researchers and starting a conversation, maybe starting some initial questions. And uh, I would say, please don't feel you already know the answers to some of the fears or concerns that you might have in becoming a researcher. Just get out there and ask the questions because the answers might surprise you. And I can certainly say for myself that after 30 years in practice, uh, stepping into the research world has given me a new lease on my professional life. Uh, and it stimulated me with um, some new and exciting challenges, and it's introduced me to some amazing people uh, who have a, a very deep understanding of some of the, the critical questions that need to be asked if we're going to um, further our profession on the mainstream stage. Well, it sounds like there's plenty of mentors out there. I think for uh, for a lot of people, it might be just seem so daunting to sort of jump into that space with 
you know, they're, perhaps they might not think that they're quite up for the task, but uh, obviously people like you will be more than happy to, uh, to have a chat with them, whether it's over a beer uh, face-to-face or, uh, or over the telephone. Absolutely. Uh, Craig, look, thank you so much, not only for spending time with uh, the CAA podcast today, but for all the work that you're doing uh, for yourself and for the profession. We greatly appreciate it and we just need more and more of it. So thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for me. Uh, Thanks for listening. Go forward with passion and purpose. I look forward to chatting with you again on our next CAA podcast.